This is the podcast where you can listen to my award-winning audiobook, But He Spit in My Coffee. I'm Carrie Williams, the author. Cindy Pillar is our reader. If you haven't been with us since the beginning, I suggest going back to start with episode one. 11. Leaning back in my desk chair, I jot notes on a legal pad. Our sales guy is explaining via conference call why our software is not a fit for a particular organization. My mind is already cranking out solutions and workarounds. I love these types of challenges and have several ideas to make it work. When he finishes and asks for my thoughts, I eagerly launch in. I'm halfway through my list when my cell phone jitters on my desk. I glance at it and see SCA Grammar on the caller ID. Would you excuse me for a moment? I say. I mute my work phone and answer my cell. It's the principal. Devin brought a knife to school today in his backpack. I gasp. Sure, I must have misheard her. It was a butter knife, but we have a zero-tolerance policy on weapons, she says. We're giving him a one-day suspension. My mind reels. He's in kindergarten. It's a butter knife, not a gun, for goodness sake. I snap in a breath, realizing this is a misunderstanding. Of course it is. Relief washes through me. No five-year-old takes a knife to school on purpose. I rush to explain. Over the weekend, my children had a picnic, and they used Devin's backpack. I'm sure that's why the butter knife was in there. It was just an accident. There's a beat of silence between us. Regardless of how the knife ended up in the backpack, Devin was chasing other students with it, and he was threatening to cut them. I'm going to need you to come pick him up. 12. In the fall, all the kids start school except Brandon. Amias and Kayla are both in kindergarten at SCA Grammar. Devin is in first grade and has started medication for ADHD. Delano has taken a job as a school bus driver. The schedule is terrible, at least for me. He leaves in the morning before the kids are up and gets home after dinner. Devin's teacher, Mrs. Sutton, wears pleated mid-calf skirts and hose and is not willing to put up with any nonsense. Within days of starting the new school year, Devin is out of his seat, disrupting the class and not listening. When Mrs. Sutton refuses to take him for a walk, he goes by himself. That earns him a call home. The second time Devin takes himself outside for a walk during school, the assistant principal chases him around the building and herds him away from the busy road. Another call home. Miss Lizzie set a bad precedent in kindergarten, and I know I've got to nip this in the bud. I ask Mrs. Sutton to email me the next time Devin starts acting up, and she does. The school is a few miles away, and I drop everything to rush over. I feel it's important to catch Devin in the act, so I can know for sure that he's connecting his actions with the consequences. I sign in, then hurry down the hall with Brandon on one hip. My hair is tangled in one of Brandon's fists as I peer through the door's window into the classroom. I watch Devin stand in front of the class while the teacher writes on the board. He mimics her and looks over his shoulder to make sure the other students are watching. 
With exaggerated motions, he sticks his bottom out and pretends to write in the air with an imaginary marker. The teacher deftly ignores him, literally teaching over his head. I rap on the door with my knuckles, and Devin stares at me as though not able to reconcile my presence. I beckon him to me with one finger. He stumbles in his rush to obey. He follows me through the silent hallway, asking, Where are we going? Once in the minivan, I spank him. He kicks and flails, although I suspect it hurts my palm far more than his bottom. Holding his chin between my thumb and forefinger, so our faces are close enough that I smell the peanut butter on his breath, I say, From now on, this is what's going to happen every time you misbehave in school. As I step out of the minivan with a sniffling Devon and heave Brandon onto my hip, I see a spindly woman who is standing a parking spot away. She peers across a car hood at us. What could he possibly have done to deserve that? She asks in a shaky voice. You don't know what you're talking about, I say curtly. Taking Devon's hand, I walk him back towards the school. What business is this of hers? The woman's voice prickles across my skin like nettles as she calls after us. I just don't know what any child could do to deserve that. Mrs. Sutton continues to email me when Devin acts up. After I show up and take him to the parking lot for a spanking a few times, days, then weeks stretch by without a call from school. He starts bringing home some papers with smiley faces and check pluses. He gets invited to a classmate's birthday party. Things are better for Devin at school. But at home, he's spinning out of control. He hurls crayons like daggers, smears apple juice on the table, and wipes boogers on the walls and on his brothers and sister. He breaks toys and fusses about everything. He may as well be in a perpetual timeout. I'm tired of hearing my own voice. Devin, stop. Devin, don't. Devin, you're going to hurt someone. Delano doesn't see any of this. His biggest frustration is coming home after work to a messy house. My life begins to feel like quicksand sucking at my ankles. I normally thrive on stress but I'm finding it harder to fit everything into a day. I pull all-nighters a couple times a week. It's a cycle I manage for days, even weeks. But when it catches up to me, I crash hard. Unbearable pain stabs through my eyes. I vomit, every heave sending blinding pain through my brain. During the worst episodes, I go to urgent care and get a shot to put me to sleep. When I wake up, the pain is gone. But the cycle starts again. Let's go, guys. Five-minute pickup time, I call. And the little kids reluctantly emerge from the playroom. Sam clomps down the stairs from his bedroom. They're all unhappy to have to help clean, but it's what we do every evening. Daddy's almost here, I warn. I load cups and cereal bowls from breakfast into the dishwasher while Amaya's picks up Legos and action figures. Kayla hangs up a sweatshirt and straightens shoes on the shelf in the garage. Sam uses a disinfectant wipe on the surfaces of the downstairs bathroom. Meanwhile, 
Devin begins to twist on his back in the middle of the living room floor, pumping his arms and legs in the air like a toddler. I don't want to clean, he wails. I offer him the what to do when I'm upset book. He jumps up and snatches it out of my hand. Shredding and tearing, he flings the pieces into the air. They float to the floor and he jumps up and down on them. Scrambling over to a toy bin, Devin grabs Amias's favorite Megazord and holds it up menacingly as though to hit Kayla. He won't actually do it, but she is frightened and darts away. My Megazord! Amias yells. Devin smashes it down against the tile floor and the pieces fly apart. I'm not sure if Devin really meant to break it, but he definitely enjoys hearing Amaya squawk. Stop that right now, I order, taking Devin's arm and leading him toward a chair for time out. He uses his body weight to make me drag him like an anchor. I pick him up and sit him in the chair. Don't move. I'm two steps away, and Devin darts back into the living room. I'm warning you, I say crossly. Come sit in this chair right now. Devin jumps on the couch. I storm towards him and try to grab him, but he climbs up onto the back of the couch and dashes by me. I reach out for him, but I don't even come close. I look stupid. I feel stupid. I'm not doing this. I'm not chasing him around the house. I sit down on the timeout chair myself and pull Brandon onto my lap. That's fine. If you don't want to do your timeout with me, we can just wait for Daddy to get home. Devin narrows his eyes and makes a punching motion at Brandon. Brandon shivers in my lap and I hug him tighter to me. Devin's tantrum ends abruptly a few minutes later when he hears the garage door open. He immediately begins picking toys up off the floor and putting them away. Delano enters the house and hisses his teeth. He stomps into the kitchen and snatches up the broom. Nobody never cleans nothing, he fumes. We cleaned, I try. Nobody cleans nothing. You don't understand, I falter. Devin's been throwing a tantrum. But Devin is crouched by the bookshelf and is carefully straightening the spines of each picture book, belying my words. His head is angled in our direction, and I know he's watching and listening to our interaction. Delano vigorously sweeps together the remnants of Devin's torn-up book. You can't even keep the house clean, he mutters, supposedly under his breath. But it's meant for me to hear. He chucks his chin toward Devin. Him the only one who helps clean. Bursting into tears, I rush upstairs. I turn on the shower to mask the sound of my sobs. With my back to the bathroom door, I sink to the floor and hold my head in my hands. Thirteen. With three kids in elementary school, I schedule parent-teacher conferences back-to-back. I meet with Amias's teacher first and hand her a shopping bag of tissues and cleaning wipes. She pats her dark helmet of hair as though it's out of place. Thank you, she gushes. We can never have too many of these. She invites me to sit at the side of her desk and passes me samples of Amias's work. As I flip through the folder, she tells me how he became upset one day when he heard another student use the F word. There was a lot of confusion because the other child insisted that he had not cursed. 
Amias very reluctantly whispered in her ear the word he'd heard. He thought fart was the F word, she says laughing. I smile sheepishly, but not surprised. Neither Delano or I use curse words, so Amias would think that. My next stop is across the hall to the other kindergarten class. Kayla's teacher has a long, messy ponytail, and with three rather rambunctious boys of her own at the school, she's frazzled, as usual. She places the bag of extra classroom supplies I've brought on one of the low art tables at the back of the room. I'm concerned about Kayla's progress, she says. She's struggling with even basic letter sounds and counting to ten. Kayla keeps to herself but doesn't have any behavioral problems. My final conference is with Mrs. Sutton. Well, let's start with the positive, she says. Devon's behavior has dramatically improved from the beginning of the year. I really appreciate how engaged you are. And Devon is always good one-on-one. She goes on to explain that he has a hard time waiting his turn. When she's helping other students, he jumps up and down and calls out. He also needs repeated prompts to complete his morning work. She points to the morning to-do list that's hanging on the wall next to the chalkboard at the front of the classroom. I imagine Devin sitting at his desk. Every time he looks at the list, he could easily be distracted by any number of things going on in the classroom. I reach into my purse for a pen and say, Let me make a laminated copy of the list. You can tape it to his desk. He's actually pretty good with lists. I copy down the information and leave Mrs. Sutton with her bag of extra classroom supplies. I've tucked a Starbucks gift card in there as well. Later that afternoon, Devin sits at the kitchen table staring down at his notebook and pencil. It's dusk outside and nearly dinner time. I met with Mrs. Sutton today, I tell him. She said you always interrupt her when she's trying to help the other kids. Why can't you wait your turn? He shrugs. But when I don't remove my expectant gaze, he mumbles, I need her help. The other kids all need her help too, right? She can't spend all her time helping only you. Amias and Kayla are also sitting at the table, working together on a math sheet. Even though they're in different classes, they usually have the same homework. A lifesaver, since Devin requires most of my attention. One, two puppies, three, four cats. That's four pets, right, Kayla? Amias asks. She nods distractedly. He continues counting the remaining pets. Three hamsters, that's seven, seven pets. Amias writes seven on his worksheet. Kayla peers at his paper and copies the seven onto hers. Seeing that she's gotten the same answer he has, Amaya says, let's do the next one. To Devin, I say, if Miss Sutton is busy helping someone else, I'd rather you draw a picture on the side of your paper than interrupt her. He opens his eyes wide and starts shaking his head. No, really, that's better than hollering and jumping up and down. Her won't let me, he says. Here's what I want you to do, I say, warming further to the idea. Next time you need help, and Mrs. Sutton is helping someone else, I want you to draw a little picture on the side of your paper, or on the back, 
you understand? Her will put me in trouble for that. Don't worry, I'll email her about it tomorrow. Returning to the kitchen to continue making dinner, I tell him, Okay, get to work on your homework now. Amias and Kayla have finished their math page and packed their papers, folders, and pencil pouches into their book bags by the time I walk over to check on Devin's progress. He hasn't even started. Devin, do your work, I say firmly, and read the instructions to him again. Practice writing the days of the week three times. I don't know them, he says sulkily. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Amias chimes from across the room where he's dribbling a soccer ball with his knees. I shush him. Devin knows the days of the week. You can't make me. Devin pouts and clutches his hands in his lap. As usual, he is persistent enough to outlast me, and I eventually cave. You can write them one time instead of three. He ignores me. I write Sunday on the paper to give him a running start. See? Only six more to go. I hold the pencil out to him. But he doesn't reach for it. Gary, Brandon is hungry. Delano hollers from the living room where he's watching a soccer game. Giving up, I shove Devin's notebook into his backpack. I walk to the refrigerator and take out the bottle of mustard. I love nursing. But my body can't manage it anymore with all the stress I'm under. I've been breastfeeding on demand, a tenant of attachment parenting, and can't imagine weaning Brandon cold turkey. It seems so mean. It's probably just my imagination, but I feel sure it will hurt his feelings. He won't understand and will think his mommy is rejecting him. I can't do that to him. I just can't. I squeeze a bright yellow glob of mustard onto the tip of my finger. I reach down the front of my shirt and smear it on my nipples. Going into the living room, I scoop Brandon out of Delano's lap. We sit on the couch and he latches on as heartily as ever. He immediately rears back with his mouth scrunched at the tart taste. Oh, what's wrong, baby? I sing song. I offer him the other side and after having a taste, he curls his lip and begins to push at me, pushing me away. Come, Delano says, lifting Brandon out of my arms. As they head toward the kitchen for some cornmeal porridge, warm tears drip down my face. I catch Devin peeking around the corner, watching, and guilt compounds my sadness. Even after all this time, my attachment with Devin is nothing like what I have with the other kids. Wiping the tears from my face, I determined that I have to do better. At the next opportunity, I am the perfect after-school mom. Milk, crackers, cheese, and a cutie. All of Devin's favorite snacks. I am patient. I am enthusiastic. I am fully focused. Devin puts his head down on the table and takes a nap. I explode. Oh, my God, do the work. I walk away so frustrated that I'm shaking. Devin begins to wail. It's your fault. I want to do my homework. You won't let me. 
It's as if a winding knob attached to the side of my head has been turned tighter and tighter for days, and now the string has snapped and my brain is spinning and tilting inside my skull. It's your fault. It's your fault. The words whirl round and round, faster and faster. 14. The faint sound of the kids' voices draws me toward the surface of wakefulness. Toys clink. I feel the scrub of the sofa against my skin. My arm tingles like I've lost circulation. I'm sticky hot and my whole body is leaden. I try to open my eyes. I can't. I can't move. I panic. My heart races. Am I in a coma? Am I paralyzed? I try to move my arm. My finger. I channel all my energy into moving one finger. I scream. No one notices. No one helps me. Help! I scream with everything I can. Can't they hear me? My chest caves inward as I feel something. An arm? Wrap around my throat and cut off the air. I can't breathe, and panic surges through me. I claw at my throat, trying to suck in just one breath. Suddenly I jerk off of the sofa. My eyes fly open. Devin and Amias are playing quietly on the carpet nearby. My skin is sticky in the eerie still of the house. Didn't you hear me? I pant. Amias looks at me curiously. You were sleeping, Mommy, he says. Seeing the terrified look on my face, he comes over and puts his arms around my neck. Join me for the next episode to find out what happens next.